Hello there, my friends. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. In this podcast, we're exploring the digital revolution that is changing every facet of our lives, certainly changing how we work, where we work, what we work on, what we work toward. So it's a remarkable time. We love trying to keep up with the changes that are taking place, the impact technology is having, culture is having, and much more. And it's one of the reasons why I'm always uh, very happy when one of our monthly digital all-stars, Tony Uphoff, is with us. Uh, Tony and I have worked together in the past. He's been a four-time CEO and recently led a very interesting transformation of a media company to a data services company that was acquired by a publicly traded company. Tony, welcome back. It's always great to have you. Hey, Bob. Likewise, it's great to see you, my friend. And I think, Tony, it's pretty cool that uh, you've become an analyst for uh, Acceleration Economy and talking about some things that CEOs need to have top of mind these days. And I know that's something you've always been interested in, but it seems particularly relevant in these times right now is one about scaling, right? Because we can all say we understand what it means. But um, Tony, you've got some interesting thoughts. I know it's high on your mind about this. How do companies do that, uh, especially at a time when everything is changing all around them? So it's a broad question, but why don't you start off with that? Yeah, Bob, you know, you and, and, and most of us that are involved in acceleration economy look at the world these days from the why. Why is something important or critical that I understand? And then how or what do I do about it? And I think the why around scaling is relatively obvious. Growth matters. And, you know, we're, we're in business to, to create jobs and to, to create opportunities and to grow the business and delight customers. I think the how around scale is extraordinarily complicated. And you wrote a fantastic post about, you know, the quote unquote hyperscalers. And, you know, are there four now or three and a half in terms of the major tech companies? And what does hyperscale really mean? And I think a little bit like the valuations and the revenue growth of some of these companies, we throw these numbers around and and we become detached from them. You know, it's trillions of dollars of valuation. It's multiple billions of dollars of growth let alone, you know, revenues. And, and I think very similarly, scale becomes something that people talk a lot about. But I find in my individual conversations with peers, other CEOs, senior executives, those that aspire to be, the idea of how, how do you scale and how did you know what to do at certain scale points is actually increasing as a topic, Bob. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a couple of reasons why we're going through a, a time where there's a lot of you know disruption and and um, challenge in the marketplace. Some of this is the, the the nature of growth itself is challenging. I think some of this is with turbulent economic times. You know, are we growing or declining or recession? And you know, all those types of things. I think it gets people thinking about the how do I manage through those types of times. But breaking down scale, I think if you if you look at it is really one of the most challenging things in business for a couple of different reasons. First off, if if you think about um, a business, not unlike um, any other physical object, there are laws of physics around those Mm -hmm. that things operate differently at certain inflection points. So as you and I were coming up in business and some of those experiences we had together, where we took a business that was $15 million and a year later it was 50. Mm-hmm. And the plane flew differently at $50 million. We had more customers. We had more employees. 
we had bigger revenues. And that seems like sort of an obvious thing. My job is to sit back and count that extra money. How great is this? Look at us go. But the reality is there are critical mass points in business that that are, are a forcing function, hopefully a positive one, but that you absolutely have to start rethinking. Do I have the right organizational structure? You know, okay, if I'm now at 50, right? What's the next critical mass point? Is it 75? Is it 100? And what will that look like at that level? And do I need to start to rethink channels of distribution? Do I need to rethink, uh, you know, product lines? Is it time for me to to accelerate uh, a growth by acquisition stage? And I think what makes this so particularly complicated, Bob, is we're moving faster today. So the companies that are scaling, whether they're hyperscaling or not, they're hitting these critical mass points faster now. And as they hit those, the decisions that are coming at them need to be made faster, but they still have to be the right decisions. Because if you make the wrong decision or non-decision about, you know, do I need to change the organizational structure? Perhaps, you know, the team that, that got me from 5 million to 50 million, I hate to say it, but there may be some folks that aren't scaling in terms yeah. of their experience or their desire. You know, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I never thought we'd get anywhere near this. And they're kind of peace out. You know, I thought this was great. Thank you very much. You know, and they have no interest in going from 50 to 500. Yeah. So it, it's, I just think it's an endlessly fascinating topic of conversation, Bob. And I find like many conversations that we have between the two of us or across our, our colleagues at Acceleration Economy, it's it's a one that almost inevitably in my more private conversations with executives, this comes up. And it may come up under different guys, but it still is really about the how. How the heck do I scale my company from where it is today? And uh, Tony, I don't think that scaling, uh, you know, and the dimensions that you described, I don't, I'm not trying to say it was ever easy. It's a remarkable achievement. Uh, many people aspire to it. Few people are able to actually carry it off. But uh, today, I think this notion of how quickly everything is changing and there's no playbook, right? People haven't done this before. You can't say, well, my seven-year plan will step by step by step by step, you know, take us here. This is often something where you've got either big companies who have dominated a market for a while and now getting, you know, rattled and shaken by crazy zany competitors coming in, yeah. you know, completely disrespecting the tradition saying, Hey, there's a whole new world out here and I don't give a crap how you've done in the past. This is how we're doing it going forward. There's no playbook. There's no guide for it coming forward. And you talked about the, the pace of change, Tony. And I think it's also, the intensity of the change. So it's not just yeah. a lot of little things yeah. happening more quickly, but all the stuff yeah. you talked about, you know, are are quite profound. And the final thing, Tony, I'd add into the mix, and this is where I think, uh, you know, things get really interesting. In the past, it seems like companies had more of a chance to say, I'm the one in charge here. I'm dictating the rules. I will set how this market works. It's the customers now, right? So, you can't be reactive, but you've got to be always uh, evolving and shifting and going with the market and moving as fast. So uh, what a time right now. And I'm not surprised that 
given your history and the challenge a lot of people have, a lot of folks are looking at you and saying, can you offer any advice on this? What yeah, I, Bob, I think you're spot on. And I think, you know, if you, you this idea of the pace of change has almost become, <clears throat> pardon me, a cliche. Yes, I know things are moving faster, but I, I think we rarely stop to really consider. So what does that mean on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis? Yeah, it feels like things are coming quicker and all that kind of stuff. I think if you break it down, let's unpack that just a little bit. So that what that really means, Bob, to your point, is that tech cycles that perhaps were a decade are five-year cycles or even three-year cycles. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, going back to a common theme that you and I get into, the ability to have agility today is critically important. But it also likely means, Bob, that many of us are acting without 100% certainty on the yeah. understanding of these changes. And that's not a new concept, but I find myself um, serving as, a, as, as an experiential guide oftentimes, Bob, with other um, C-level executives on that idea of, hey, the days where you had the luxury, right? And for me, at least, it feels like this was a really long time ago, <laughs> but that you could be absolutely red light, green yeah. light certain and you had 100% certainty that this was the right step or the right time to take that step, that's no longer true in, in any market that I could name, Bob. And granted, you and I tend to be in and around the tech markets a lot, and those are moving differently than other markets. But I think that's true. And I don't know what the, what the right percentage is. Is it 75th percentile or whatever it is that people need to make decisions? So I think two things. I think tech is inexorably marching on and up-leveling the, the, the tech cycles, which in turn is creating the ability for people to move much faster. Um, and then I think also, Bob, to your point, you know, not, not to sound funny about it, but some of these companies, to your earlier point you're making, are walking on the moon. I mean, yeah. we've not been here before. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think the laws of physics are still going to matter at some point. But I, I think we're seeing things move and shift in ways, you know, if you start to think about, um, you know, the impact of some of the massive computing potential of cloud now, even just a few years ago, I think we thought that would be cool if we could actually see wow. that happen. Now it's happening. And, and I think it's starting to move things quicker. If we start to think about the mainstreaming of artificial intelligence, Bob, and the, and the level of intensity that that's bringing to markets, and, and again, going back to scale, as an executive, you look at these and think, okay, those are enabling technologies that if I harness those technologies, boy, I can increase my scale. And I think that's really true. W one last point I'd, I'd make and then hand it back to you. You know, I, I, I'm conjuring up the infamous Walter White when you said, you know, the, the vendor used to be in control and now the customer is if for fans of Breaking Bad, there's a famous scene where Walter White, in response to dealing with some drug kingpin, said, I'm the one that knocks. And it's his way of saying he's in control of what's happening. And, and I, I think this is that moment where I think a lot of the technology companies realize they're no longer the one that knocks. Yeah. The customer is the one that knocks nowadays. Yeah. And and you and I can have fun in that conversation. And it sounds like kind of in a, in a funny way, it's such an obvious you know, uh, observation of, oh, okay, the customer's in control or the customer first or all these kinds of things. It is truly profound, Bob. And I think yeah. if, I, if I was to point to one thing 
that can help in the scale on the seller side for technology companies. If I can point to one thing that can hold some of those companies back, mm -hmm. it's a lack of understanding of that profound shift. Mm -hmm. Because I, and not to say, okay, I, I'm going to take whatever the customer gives me and like it. I don't mean it that way, but I do mean it from um, technology companies today have to understand that if you're not setting up everything that you do with the customer at the center of it, which is a little different if we're really honest to five, <laughs> 10 years ago, right? If you're not really looking at that more deeply, right? You're probably gonna restrict your ability to scale at least organically, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think you're gonna restrict your ability that way. Well, Tony, as you were describing that, and I think the impact that technology can have on the pace of change and the intensity of change, I, I thought of this thing as, uh, an executive at Oracle is named Steve Miranda, and he's the executive VP in charge of application development. Been at Oracle 25 years or so. Great guy, very bright. I saw him do a presentation a handful of years ago, but this is how quickly things change. He was contrasting uh, the pace of innovation in the cloud versus on-premise. He said, let's look at the on-premise thing. And he said, here, we're going to pick an idealized vendor, does everything the customer wants, and an idealized customer who is cooperating as best possible with the vendor. He said it takes about two years, you know, for uh, one of these on-premises deployments to happen. And at the end of that two years, then the customer starts to go into, you know, first round of evaluations thing. Well, we can give you some feedback, but we're not ready for any heavy ideas for a while. So go to year three, three and a half. Then the customer says, okay, here are some new things I would like you to have in your next version. Software vendor says, great, great, we'll put them in there. Well, it's another year, two, three years after that. So you're five, you're six. Wow. Those can be incorporated. So Steve's point was it can be from in the ideal situation, you know, several years before a good idea wow. for customer takes place. Cloud has completely flipped that upside down where it's quarterly. And I think, Tony, we're probably marching toward monthly. And then just around the corner, right, I think it'll be early in 2023, we're going to start to see the first implementations of quantum computing power yeah. applied through the cloud. So yeah. uh, just extraordinary time now. But Tony, all this, you know, the, the things you're describing here, and the idea of scale, but there's also, it seems, and you've alluded to a couple things in here, but one of the enemies of scaling, right, is friction. And mm -hmm. uh, it rears its ugly head. Uh, it seems always uh, at the absolute worst time and in the worst way. So how, as you counsel companies and leaders, how do you advise them to beware but not be afraid of friction? Yeah. Well, it, it, if you think about scale and you think about, you know, bottlenecks, there is a friction in the company, throughput, um, lethargy, decline, you know, whatever term you want to put on it, Bob, that I think to a great extent, that's our job is to is to constantly be vigilant looking at that. I would I would argue today because of the way the markets are changing, there's two things you got to really pay attention to go outside in first, not inside out. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for, you know, throughput or bottlenecks or friction that you think is is holding back scale, Today, start with the customer experience facing into your company. Don't start with, hey, I'm going down to engineering and then I'm going to talk to distribution and then I'm going to talk to logistics. You may end up there. Yeah. But the best way to end up there is through the customer experience in, 
right? Not customer service, not customer satisfaction, the actual customer experience. So I think that's that's one thing it hits. I, I think the other thing, you know, sticking with this theme of scale is that understand that there are times when friction actually is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So be careful about stamping out friction everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, there, there's a reason that, you know, uh, there's a drinking age. There's a reason that there's an age before getting a driver's license. There's a real, you know, <laughs> these are areas of friction that are there for a reason because they're actually good in, in many, many cases. And I'll give you a couple examples that I, I see a lot in business. And I think are, is something that we need to just be aware of as executives. And again, think of this as something that is appropriate towards scaling as opposed to holding back scale. Yeah. If you look at this era that we live in, and Bob, you and I and our colleagues talk a lot about um, this understanding that, quote unquote, B2B sales is horribly broken today. Primarily, it's been disrupted by the Internet, right? So in a digital first environment where buyers are using you know, digital tools first, how to sell in this environment, very difficult. It's getting even more complicated to understand how to do that. As a reaction to that, what you're seeing, though, is the barrier the friction of reaching out if you were the CIO of a company or the CTO of a company or the CEO of the company, there's almost zero friction. Am I being able to figure out how to get your email, how to get your phone number and and or how to reach out to you on LinkedIn? So I can come at you with very little experience or understanding and zero understanding of you as a prospect or a customer. So there's a good example where the reduction of friction is actually a bad thing because I I could be doing subtle brand damage on behalf of the vendor that I think I'm trying to help. Right. And I'm battering and spamming a a senior decision maker and, and, you know, heaven forbid that senior decision maker actually engages with me because I haven't slowed down to think, Hey, what business is this guy Evans in again? And you know, what if a guy, what if he actually picked up the phone? What would I say to him? And I, you know, do I know anything about his company or, you know, can I relate another customer that I work with is like his business? And I'm, I'm exaggerating to make the point, but I think as executives, and I go back to your, your umbrella statement of the technology cycles and the pace of change I think this idea of scaling, we need to understand when have we hit a critical mass point? What do I need to do about it? Where are the areas of friction in that customer experience that I need to address, right? Is it too hard for the customer to, to uh, you, know, uh, you know, become a customer? How many, how many people talk to the customer in the onboarding process? How elegant is that process? You know, all those steps. But at the same point in time, I don't want to add areas of friction. It's not what I'm trying to say, but right. in the case of sales being an example, um, you know, another example that was brought up to me recently by a, a friend of mine who's the CEO of the company who runs a, a great culture, not a huge company. It's about 500 employees, but a good sized company. And he was saying, you know, that he, in a funny way, kind of laments the fact that it's an era where anybody in the company feels very comfortable sending the CEO an email or a message on Slack. And he said, look, I, I espouse this. And he said, I don't want to turn away from it. But he said, I spend a disproportionate amount of time wading through things that are really don't make any sense. And they're sent from people who have, we've given them the impression that they can say anything, including fears or concerns or those types of things. And he said, you know, it's, it's not one or the other. 
he said, but, you know, if you really think about it, when you were coming up in a company, if you had free reign to wander up to the CEO and say anything at any time, you know, that wouldn't be productive, wouldn't be productive for your career and certainly wouldn't be productive for the CEO. So how do you have both ways? Mm-hmm. Right. How do you how do you allow people unfettered access? How do you allow for a lot of feedback and information, but have an appropriate process? Yeah. Right. That allows for some level of filtering of that. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, but I didn't have an answer. <laughs> I said, look, I, I, I'm somebody that tend to, you know, when I run companies, I want to hear from anybody. And, yeah. and you know, there's times that I have to 20 percent of that. I've got to kind of wade through some stuff that's probably irrelevant. But I guess those two areas, Bob, of, you know, friction in the customer experience, how do we as executives just constantly go at that with a weed whacker? And we're just constantly trying to break that down. And where can we use, you know, technology that can either automate or ease or speed up or improve that customer experience? And then also, are there areas of friction? You know, we have a we have a mutual friend who will use the term pump the brakes once in a while. Well, pump the brakes is there for a reason because we may want to slow down to think, to consider, to, you know, make sure that we're making making the right decision. And are there areas, i.e. introducing into a sales process or others that, you know, if we've got people that are just indiscriminately spamming prospects and customers, is there almost a drip campaign of brand damage over time. And again, I'm not picking on that. Look, I do it too. So, I, you know, I'm throwing rocks and living in a glass house here. But I think those are two interesting components of friction, Bob, that I find myself drawn into conversations of when it is, when is it a good thing when scaling a company and both culturally and scale wise, when is it perhaps, you know, friction's there for a reason and may not be something that you want to take out of a process. Yeah. So, Tony, let me see if I can summarize that. You advocate people sending messages that start with, hey, I stumbled across your profile on LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, my God. I, as you know, Bob, I wrote a post on that. And it, it got a lot of, I, you know, but by my standards, it got a lot of activity. But so many people could relate to it. And I, I actually have taken the time over the years to occasionally right back to somebody who wrote that. And I'll just click out the phrase, paste it back <laughs> into the response and send it back and just say, let me ask you something, <laughs> right? Does that, you know, if you met me at a trade show, if you saw me at a restaurant, you knew I was running a company that you wanted to get to know, would you literally walk up and say, hey, I just stumbled across you and thought I should get to know you? <laughs> Probably not, right? But there's a good example. This has become so, what's the word? reflexive or just automatic, Bob, right? Friction free. We we don't stop to kind of go, God, that really doesn't (laughs) sound right. And it probably makes me sound perhaps uninformed. No, no, I, because I can do it. Does that mean I should do it? So uh, injecting a little rationality in here, Tony, as always. Well, uh, Tony, my friend, thank you. This has been, this has been great. What an interesting, interesting time and world we live in when we can consider some of these questions and what they mean and try to devise the right way forward for our businesses at uh, a time unlike any other. And in our business, you know, a lot of it spins around, you know, the greatest growth market the world has ever known. So, Tony, thanks. Uh, Great stuff. Always good chatting with you. Thanks, Bob. Good to see you. We'll see you next month. All right, sir. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here on Cloud Wars Live. Hope things are going great for you. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.